You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Today, you're going to say this a lot today and tomorrow. You're going to say, Happy New Year. I mean, maybe you haven't kissed somebody yet at midnight, and maybe you haven't, you know, uh, given a high five, and maybe you haven't done these different things, but you're going to say, Happy New Year, which is really, when you think about it, it's a weird thing to say. Happy New Year. We say Merry Christmas, but we reserve the word happy for New Year. Right? So you say, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, unless you uh, drank too much, and then you say, Merry Drunkmas, Hungover New Year. Right? But we hope that's not the case. What we want for you is to have the kind of fun tonight that doesn't leave regrets. We, we say, Happy New Year, and, and we think that by saying happy, that it allows people to, if they could just be happy, then they will be, have joy on the inside, then they will be significant. But the truth is, Uh, happiness doesn't bring us significance. Holiness does. That there's deep-rooted joy. There's a big difference between being joyful and being happy. And we want, we say the word happy, but why wouldn't we say something like profitable new year? Some people, that might make them happy. Other people, you might say significant new year, that they really find out who they are and what they were created to do and how they're going to make a significant change in their life and the world. That would be a great thing. Some of you would just say righteous new year. Right, Garth? Right, Wayne? Say righteous new year. You might say something like that. But we say happy new year. And some of you, as you look at the days ahead, you're optimists. Others of you are pessimists. And you're like, ah, the glass is half full. I don't know. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Some of you are realists as you look at the days ahead. Some of you are looking at leaving 2017 and you are just so grateful. Like, I'm so ready to leave 2017. In the past, I can't. There's just something refreshing and new about turning the leaf over to a new year because you're just like, it's been maybe for you a rough year. Maybe you're looking forward at the days ahead. Others of you, there's just something that's helpful, like to have that change, to have that start again is a good thing. And so you're looking at it in different eyes. Maybe you're optimistic, maybe you're pessimistic, maybe you're a realist, but one thing is absolutely sure, that the living and active word of God, the Bible, existed and was at work long before you and I showed up on the scene, and it will be living and active and standing long before, uh, after you and I are gone, and it teaches you and I how to walk into a happy new year. So today, I want to talk with you about the mind-altering way to a happy new year, that the Bible gives us some insights into not only how to be happy, but how to be holy, and we're going to look at that today. If you have your Bible, open with me to Psalm chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, Psalm actually has a P on the front. It's P-S-A-L-M. It'd almost be like pterodactyl, but psalm. And that's it. we're going to go to chapter 1, the very first psalm in the Bible. And it begins by giving us some instructions. Will you look at the screen or follow along in God's word? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, what? Prospers. Okay, whatever they do prospers. We want stability in life. We want in life, whether it's the storms of life or whether it's the highs and the lows, we want to have a degree of stability. And right here in Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist is contrasting those who walk in the way of wicked people or those who find their security, their stability in the law of the Lord. And you have to realize that the word blessed 
means happy. That's what it actually means. So when it's saying blessed here, it means the word happy. You could read verse one like this. Happy is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Right away, he's going to give us an indication where we can find happiness. But to do that, we've got to do a couple things. And one of them, one of the goals I want for you to have for the new year is number one on your outline, and that is this principle that we'll learn from the scriptures today. Renew my thoughts, and I'll renew my joy. Okay? Renew my thoughts, and I'll renew my joy. Here's how this works. As we think, so we become. Right, when you lay awake at night and you're worried about all sorts of things and you, you're mulling these things over and over and over in your mind, you, you, as you think and as you dwell and as you get on that roller coaster, you're going to begin, to, your body's going to tell you that worrying is bad. You might get an ulcer, you might get upset, you might just wor- be, wake up overwhelmed, but all the time, as we think, so we are going to become. You might be a man and you might be kind of stuck in a midlife crisis And you might say, I I don't know. I don't know how to get out from where I feel stuck. I've got disappointments in my past. I don't have a bright outlook for the days ahead. I don't like where I am or how life has turned out. It's brought some disappointments along the way. And the way that a man in midlife crisis gets unstuck is he changes his thoughts. And what you do, it doesn't mean that you're, you're just an optimist. What it means is you're a realist. What it means is you look back and you accept the disappointments of life for what they've been and for what they are. You accept responsibility for whatever those might be, or your part in them or others' part in them, and you you take an observation of where you are right now, and you, again, change your mind so that you re-engage for the next season of life. Because midlife crisis disengages you from preparation for the next season of life. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, I, I'm paused, I'm paralyzed, I'm in time out. How do I change? Well, I change my thoughts because as you think, so you become. As I choose to re-engage for the next season of life and to accept its limitations, you move out of that. You might be a student and right now you're halfway through your school year and you look at the choices you've made in life or in academics over the last you know, number of months and you may not be pleased with how that's all turned out. Well, how do you look forward to the days ahead? Well, you change as you think, so you become. And what you're going to do is you're going to say, I'm going to take responsibility for the choices I made in friendships, the choices I made in academics, and I'm going to take responsibility for those. They are what they are. I'm going to leave them in 2017, and I'm going to do the next right thing. And when you start focusing on doing just the next right thing, which sometimes is your homework, which sometimes is behaving well with your friends. When you focus on doing the next right thing, you've changed the course of your life as you think, so you become. You might be a mom, and you, whether you're a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, a single mom, you might be just overwhelmed with the demands of life. It's a huge and demanding season right now, and you might be overextended, you might be tired, but your thoughts are going to determine how you parent. Your thoughts are going to be determined how you respond to the demands of being a mom. And when you have fantasies about running away and having freedoms and escaping from being a mom, in those areas, when you begin to think about those, they're going to show up. And when the next demand comes from your children, they're going to show up in maybe a negative way when you feel overwhelmed and you're going to snap at areas. So how do you change? How do you, how do you change the direction? You change how you think. 
and it will change who you become. So you begin to take gratitude for the things you do have in the midst of an incredibly draining, tired, overwhelming season. You begin to find hope in the word of God because as you change your mind, as you think, so you become. So we renew our thoughts, we will renew our joy. But the scriptures right away tell us three different areas that make our joy come to a screeching halt. Right away, in the first verse, it's going to tell us three areas that our joy, your joy and mine, can come to an absolute screeching halt. And so we give some warnings. And the first thing is this, that worldly thinking brings our joy to a screeching halt. He gives three areas. First, when you and I walk with the wicked, he says, don't do it. He's saying the one who wants to be happy is the one who does not walk with the wicked. Well, what does this mean? What does walking with the wicked mean? Some of you are like, you don't understand the people I work with. You don't understand the people in my family. Like, I can't get away from them. It's not what it's talking about. Walking with the wicked means pairing yourself and your interests to the pace and the counsel of the world. I would suggest that some of your New Year's resolutions will reveal if you're trying to attach yourself to the pace of the world. Are you trying to do more, be more, be better, try to do everything the world says to do and trying to fit it all into a, a schedule that just won't work out? You might be trying to attach to the pace of the world and that may not be the best thing for you. You might be attaching to the counsel of the world, all the things that the world tells you to do and you're like, well, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna try and do this. I'm gonna try and do that. Maybe some of those things are not God-honoring things. You might be attaching yourself. So what happens is you're going along and you're walking toward the Lord, but at some point you're like, I don't know. It seems like everybody else is making resolutions or living their life in this way. And so you just start walking. You're not fully sold out. You're just walking along with them. Everybody likes to make New Year's resolutions for the most part. New Year's is kind of a special night. New Year's Eve is a special uh, evening for Heather and I because it was 24 years ago that I asked Heather to marry me on New Year's Eve. And so every year we get to New Year's Eve where Heather had just a, 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 a kind of, she had a, a broken family. Holidays were not fun. Um, she, did, she dreaded holidays. She didn't look forward to them. And I wanted to give her a holiday that she would look forward to and remember in a different way. Uh, and so what happened is we were in Southern California. Heather uh, grew up in Colorado and I was out there at grad school, but I had invited her home to meet my family in Southern California. So we took a break from all the winter weather and we came to SoCal. And so we get back to Southern California and I, it's coming up on New Year's Eve and I said, hey, let's, let's go on a date. And she's like, that's a great idea. So we, we go out that night and we get in my parents' Ford Bronco. Okay, this is like an SUV. And we're driving the Ford Bronco and I drive her down to the beach and I've timed it to where we'll walk along the beach as the sun is going down, which means it's like 4.30, right? So, so we're like walking along the beach. It's all romantic. And instantly on this date, because it's New Year's, Heather is reminiscing over everything that's happened during the year. She's like, do you remember how we met this year? Which is true. We had met that year. Remember we dated and we did this and when we all this. And so she just, she has no idea what's coming, but she's just reminiscing about all the things and just feels very sweet because it's, so we're walking along the beach. We get back in the Ford Bronco. We drive back into the San Fernando Valley where I grew up and we go to a restaurant and we go inside. We're having a nice dinner uh, at a favorite restaurant. But what Heather doesn't know is outside, my brother has come in a different car and he has taken the Ford Bronco and he has parked this white Cadillac in the same spot 
as the Ford Bronco. And so he, at that point, goes on because what Heather doesn't know is that in the back of the Ford Bronco, I had put like a card table, chairs, tablecloth, chocolate, Martinelli's, um, music, and candlelight. And, uh, and so they come and they pick that up and they drive off with it and put a new car there. And so what happens is my brother and his girlfriend at the time, they drive up to the north end of the valley and go out to where there's a cliff that overlooks the entire San Fernando Valley. And picture this with me, that every Christmas light is still up no matter what Mike Millette says. <laughs> and it is beautiful and it's warm enough to be outside because it's Southern California at that time. And, and it's this cliff that overlooks like all this area and it's just a gorgeous, amazing view from the hill out into the San Fernando Valley. Well, what they do is they go out and they set up the card table and the tablecloth and the chairs and the Martinelli's and the chocolate and they, and they sit down and hang out there till we get there. So what happens is I walk out with Heather from the restaurant and she's walking with me, we're holding hands and we're getting toward where the Ford Bronco was. And as we get there, she grabs my arm real hard. Dave, Dave, the car is gone. It's gone. And, and I'm like, keep walking. She's like, Dave. And she's thinking to herself, she's panicking. She's like, this is LA right? Bad things happen. Like she doesn't know where we are in LA or anything, but she's just like, all she can get her mind around is the car is gone. Well, I fish in my pocket. I get keys out. I open the white Cadillac. She's like, but Dave, the car is gone. It like hasn't caught up to her yet. Like what is going on? So I open the door. There's a red rose on the seat. I have her sit down and give her the rose. And she's like, Dave, the car is gone. She's still like is in shock. So I'm like, it gets worse. So I reach under the seat and I blindfold her. Okay, she doesn't know where we are, what we're going. This is how bad things happen, right? When you get in the car and you get blindfolded. Well, she gets blindfolded. She's like, I don't know why you're blindfolding me. I don't know where we're going. Well, I said, just trust me. We drive up the car. We go up to the top end of the valley. We get, we park at the side of the road. I get her out of the car. She's blindfolded. We walk toward the edge where the table and everything's set up. My brother and his girlfriend get up. They go by, they fist bump. Heather has no idea they're there. They get in their car, they drive off. I walk up and we're standing there. And I take off the blindfold, and she's struck with this view over the whole San Fernando Valley. It's just breathtaking. And so at that point, then we sit down at the table, and we're having chocolate, Martinelli's, and she, she doesn't know. She just thinks this is the greatest date ever, which it is. And <laughs> then I get down on one knee and say, Heather, I'll love you forever. Will you marry me? And she had, I think, inside had intended to say, well, let me think about it. But she was so overwhelmed and smitten. And she said yes. And so then, of course, the rest of the night, we're calling people. So we remember that every year. And let me tell you, it is entirely possible to walk with someone, to stop and stand, to sit down together, and to build something beautiful for the future. And at the same time, it's entirely possible to walk along with the wicked, to stop and stand for a bit, to sit down with them, and begin to deconstruct the joy of your life. So first, we're instructed not to walk with the wicked. Second, we're instructed not to stand with the sinners. If you want your joy to leave, it's saying stand with the sinners. And this is how this happens. Standing with the sinners is not just walking and standing. What it is is I've been walking along. I've been investigating what you think and how you feel and how you behave. But now I'm going to stand around with you. I'm going to begin to involve myself in the same behaviors as those who are already held fast by sin. 
they're wrapped up by sin, they're captured by sin, they're handcuffed by sin. And, and I'm going to start involving myself in this idea that, you know, I can still manage it because I have a belief in God, but I'm going to still manage my behavior to look exactly like them while I'm just standing with them and I won't be trapped like they will. And we begin to fool ourselves because Proverbs 5 verse 22 says this, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, the cords of their sin hold them fast. And you and I begin to think that we can manage our sin. But I want you to realize that the definition of the word sin is to miss the mark. We think we can hit it every time. You give me the paintball, I can hit the paintball thing that I'm trying to shoot at every time. And with a group of guys in my backyard, I used to, uh, I had a guy who worked at a paintball shop, so I said, hey, bring all your stuff. Tonight, I want to like illustrate a point with the guys. So I got, went out to the hardware store. I got two pieces of uh, plywood that are four by eight, and I stood them up right next to each other, and I put stands on the back so that they're across the lawn from us, two pieces of plywood stand there. Then I took spray paint, and I'm a horrible artist, and I basically made the outline of a man and an outline of a woman on the, on the plywood so they had something to shoot at. They could pick what they wanted to shoot at, and they're, they kind of just look like dark shapes, right, like a target. And so they get the guns, and, and I'm like, guys, it's not that far. Literally, it's not even from here to the, the gap row there in our auditorium. See if you can pick whichever one you want and hit your target. And I'm telling you, man, some of these guys have shot paintball before, some of these guys haven't. And had they been able to hit it all perfectly, you'd see two perfectly outlined but kind of drippy shapes of human beings. But the reality is these guys would hit, they were like bouncing them off the lawn, like pop, 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 and, you know, off the lawn, and then they're jumping, and they would go on the hillside behind. The, all the whole thing was just, you know, wet with paint. You couldn't see an outline of anything. But every guy, when he gets that gun, is convinced, I can drill the target. And that's what happens with you and I when it comes to our sin. Sin means to miss the mark, that we think we can manage and hit what we're trying to hit, and it won't trap us. It won't ensnare us. But the truth is, it does. And that's why here in the psalm, the psalmist reminds us to not walk with the wicked, to not stand in the sinners if you want joy in your life. So what do we say? Some of us have realized over the last year that we need to, some of the people we're hanging out with, we're starting to stand around with, they're ensnared by sin. They're trapped by sin. And maybe by us standing around them, we're letting them unduly influence our lives. And so what we need to do is not unfriend them, but move them from our circle of influence to the next circle out, which is the circle of concern. That they're in my circle of acquaintance. That I move them just slightly out so that they're not the key influencers in my life. Because I want to walk and stand with people who are focused on God and his word. And so we have to course correct along the way. And the psalmist has given us a picture of what that could look like. The third thing that we're not to do, if we, the third thing that will cause our joy to come to a screeching halt is that we sit with the mockers. Sit with the mockers. By the way, how many of you are just good at mocking? Come on, be honest. Yeah, there's a few of us in this room. We're good at, you know, you, you got some good comebacks. You're pretty good at that, right? But this is different. It's not just talking about people who do mockery. This is talking about identifying with worldly thinking, to identify with worldly thinking. It's, it's saying this, that I identify with the world's thoughts and I actually am gonna choose that my identity is more attached to 
everybody in the world than it is attached to the Bible and giving it claim over my life. So what you're saying is you're trying to do syncretism. You're trying to draw two things together. You're trying to say, I want to believe in the Bible and believe in God. But in reality, I think like the world. My identity is like the world. I act like the world. There's really no difference. Why? Because I've walked with the wicked. I have started to stop and stand with sinners, and now I've sat down with the mockers. What I've done is I've taken my seat of authority with them. In the Jewish culture, what would happen is the leaders of the time would have their authority at the city gate. So the leaders would walk down there, and they would stand and talk to one another. Then they would take their seats of judgment and authority, and they would handle legal cases. They would make decisions for the city. They would, it was a place of honor, and they would take it. That was their identity. But what happens here is that these people are walking with the wicked, standing with the sinners, sitting with the mockers. It's a change of identity, thinking that they can manage it all along. See, one of two things happens when you and I begin to think that what we feel or what, the, what our commonalities are with the world, when we begin to feel and think that that's the real us, instead of who God says we are, God says that you and I are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. What a beautiful picture that we are loved by God, and, and on the inside our thoughts are like, oh no, God's not pleased with me. And we're going to have to grab a hold of those thoughts because as we believe, as we think, so we become. But what we begin to see is this, that when we identify with the mockers, when we identify with the world, we have a crisis of identity. So one of two things has to happen. Either you're going to say, this is how I feel and it's frankly how everybody feels and maybe I'm more like this person, which is the not good side of you. You're going to say, here's my beliefs in God over here, and one of two things has to happen. Either I have to change my beliefs in God, downgrade them, and try to bring them over here, and when you do that, it brings an instant identity crisis and instability to your life. Your behaviors will change because you're trying to take your beliefs to match your behaviors, saying my behaviors reveal who I really am. Or you identify that these are wrong behaviors and they need to match my beliefs and so I'm going to come over and let God begin to renew my mind, renew my heart, and my behavior will follow because as I think, so I become. One of two things will happen. And the psalmist is warning us that worldly thinking brings our joy to a screeching halt. So we need to renew our thoughts to increase our joy. So I want you to gauge for just a moment this year. As you think of 2017 as compared to 2016, have you been walking, standing, or sitting? Are you walking toward the Lord, or have you maybe been walking toward in the way that wicked people walk? Are you standing with them? Have you begun to sit? And I want you just to gauge and write that down on your outline for your own reflection. Well, how do we renew our thoughts so that our joy is renewed? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. What's he saying? When you and I begin to think, again, if you begin to think, well, God's not pleased with me, you think, that's just my own thoughts. It just came from my own head. No, the answer is you're either accusing yourself or the very real enemy is accusing you. And in that moment, you say, no, I'm going to capture that thought. 
I'm going to make it obedient to who Christ says I am. You are my son or daughter whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Not kind of pleased, well pleased. We capture it. But if I'm not in God's word, I don't know what God thinks about me or who God is or how he feels about me or which way I should go in life. So we renew our thoughts so that our joy will steadily grow because we all hit times of crisis. Will you watch this video? I think humans are always gonna have doubt. Like the earliest, earliest example I can think of was biblical, when Adam doubted what God had really said and said, nothing really that'll happen to me. I think it's natural for us to question and to doubt. Last summer I was really depressed for some reason. I didn't know why, and I didn't really tell anyone. I felt far from God, and I think it was just just a point in my life where I was just really low, and I, I, I had no idea why. But halfway through just feeling the worst and like not caring about what I did or what happened, you know, I just kind of gave up on life. But when I realized I might as well try to be with God and connect with God again, because I've tried everything else and that doesn't work. And so I went to God and I was finally open with God about it and I talked to him about it, I prayed about it, and I told my parents, there's an overwhelming difference to me. Looking back, like, oh man, this situation is really hard but God was looking out for me here, versus when I was trying to do it on my own, I usually fail. I run cross country, and so it takes a lot of physical energy and strength and mental strength, because you can push your body farther than you think it'll go, but only if you can do that in your head. I always pray before I run, because I'm like, God, I need you to give me wings. I need you to show your light through me, through this race. Doubt is, yeah, it's definitely something everyone has to go through. And it could either make you stronger or make you weak. And you have to choose how it will define you. Hey, we give it up for Carson. Proud of you, buddy. We all go through times where we doubt. We all go through times where we hit storms of life. We all go through times where we find ourselves walking and standing and sitting, and we have to come to our senses and say, where, where do I go from here? What will make a change? What's the change point in my life? And we need some right goals, right goals for the new year. In fact, there's a guy named Sir Isaiah Berlin. He's a British philosopher, and he said this, injustice, slavery, poverty, slavery, ignorance, these may be cured by reform or revolution, but men do not live only by fighting evils. They live by positive goals, individual and collective, a vast variety of them, seldom predictable 
and at times incompatible. We need some right goals. So it's not just don't walk, don't stand, don't sit, but it's what are the right things to do? How then should I walk? How then should I stand? How then should I sit to have some good goals in my life? And the first goal you want to have to have a mind-altering way to a happy new year is to renew your thoughts and renew your joy. But the second one that you'll want is to be rooted in the Word of God and experience stability. Be rooted in the Word of God and experience stability. Now, stability is going to be most often shown in the storms of life. I mean, you would look and say, hey, that, those plants look pretty stable. That tree looks pretty stable. But until the storms come, until the waters rise, until the floods come, you don't know what's going to stay or what's going to move. Because you could have two trees standing next to each other, and one of them is not rooted. And when the floodwaters rise, it will carry that tree downstream. It will carry it all the way to San Francisco, won't it? It's easy to have the intention to do the right thing, but not actually do it, right? How many of you would just say, be honest, how many of you would say, there have been times you've been, in, you've had the good intention to do something, but you never really did it? Okay, I'm not the only one. Good job. That's a lot of us, right? It, 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 sometimes we can say, I want to be rooted in the word of God, but I never maybe get around to it. And so there was a pastor a number of years ago who said uh, to his congregation, next week, I'm going to preach to you on lying. And so during this week, in preparation for next week's sermon on lying, I want to uh, go ahead and have you read Mark chapter 17. And so during the week, they put out a bunch of, you know, social media reminders. Read Mark 17, read it, and get ready for next week's sermon. The next week everybody came, the pastor said, all right, how many of you read Mark 17 this week? And about, you know, most of the congregation put their hands up, and he said, you're the liars I want to talk to. Mark only has 16 chapters. See, it's easy for us to have a good intention and want to get there, but sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. So how do we make a difference? How do we actually walk in a way to get rooted in the Word of God and experience stability? Where do we grab new opportunities for the new year? Well, let me give you three that are talked about right here in this passage. First is to love God's Word. Love it. Verse 2 said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And then said, but the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and I want you to capture that word delight. That there's, there's a passion to it. There's a love to it. That you delight in the law of the Lord. And the law was not simply the rules. The law was actually the communication of God to his people. So he's saying, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And we are reminded that the appetites we feed grow. The more you feed a particular appetite, it will grow. So it's not going to happen overnight. You have to investigate and walk through the word of God. You've got to begin to get rooted in it. And over time, you get a passion about the living, active word of God in your life. Next week, we're going to start a series called Headlines. And we're going to go straight through the book of 1 Peter. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. And we're going to walk along with him through that entire book over the next few weeks. And we're going to see what's the main idea, the headline from each passage of scripture that we look at. And how does it apply not just back then, but to our life today, to our life right now. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. We're going to get rooted in the word of God with our new series starting next week. We're going to love 
God's word. Second, don't just read God's word. Do the work of meditating on the living and active word of God. The work of meditating. And people think of meditating and they think that it's emptying your mind and humming. Or it's getting in some yoga pose and and like emptying yourself. That's not what it's talking about. He said this. He said, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Second, and meditates on his law day and night. You notice there's a regularity to it, and there's an investigation to what is the word actually saying. So you begin to ask, what does it mean to not walk in the way of the wicked, not stand along with the sinners, not sit in the seat of mockers? What does that mean, and what does that mean for my life? You begin to investigate. You begin to meditate and think deeply. What is the author communicating to the people back then? What is he communicating to me right now? Understand something about reading God's word. There is an inseparable connection between my reading and my conduct. There's an inseparable connection to when I read the word of God and how I behave. Why? Because as I think, so I become. But if I'm never reading the word of God, I am well-intentioned and not becoming. Does that make sense? There's an inseparable connection between my reading and my conduct. So we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. They're on your outline. What reminders will I set to form a habit? And maybe for you, it's having a Bible reading plan through YouVersion app on your phone. Or maybe for you, it's getting together with another person and and talking about the scriptures with them. Maybe for you, it's setting a reminder so that every day you spend some time in the Word. Maybe some of you are going to do two-a-days. You might do day and night meditating on the Word. Others of you are going to walk and begin to say, what do I need to do to form a habit? Maybe I need to attach reading the Bible to something I already do every day whether it's your lunch break, whether it is your breakfast, but while you're going to do that, you're saying, instead of doing what I normally do, I'm going to do this and that. You're going to attach it to something you already do. What will work to help you form a habit? Second, what resources do I need to actually study it? You're going to read and go, I don't know what that means. I need someone else to help me unpack it. And we have more access through smart devices to the internet to get good, reliable information to understand the word of God than any generations before us. And so we can't use an excuse. You might need to look up an online Bible commentary that helps comment on the parts you're reading every day. So you don't only have your Bible out, but you might need a commentary. And some of you might want the physical Bible out. You want an actual paper Bible because the other stuff distracts you. Others of you are going to be like, I'll get my paper Bible out, but I'll do an online commentary so I can follow along and understand what I'm reading. You and I need tools. Take advantage of the tools that are available to you. They're not secret tools out there somewhere. You can understand the Word of God to meditate on it, not just read it. And third, who will I be unpacking God's word with? It's just like going to the gym. You're gonna be far more successful if you have a workout partner or a group of people you work out with than if you go on your own, right? That's true of any of us. And we're gonna need that. So that's why here at Sun Grove Church, we say encounter God by all means. But second, grow through community. You need a circle group where you can unpack God's word. And so maybe for you, it's signing up for a circle group. Let me give you a suggestion though. If you want to be a better man or a better woman in 2018, 
then I'm gonna highly encourage you to lead a circle group, to host it or to lead it. You know why? Because when you're the leader, there's a built-in accountability. We'll resource you. We'll give you the stuff to talk about. We'll give you what, but you've got to facilitate a little discussion. But when you're hosting it at your place or your dorm or your apartment, uh, when you are the one who's going to lead the facilitation of discussion, there's just, there's something about it where you're engaged with other people. You're going to become a better man or woman because you're unpacking the word of God in the context of community. Listen, I'm a better man when I'm leading a community group than when I'm simply preaching. Do you hear me? I'm a better man when I have a circle group of guys around me than when I stand with the limitations of the pulpit. I'm a better man when I'm in community. So are you. You want to be a better man or better woman in 2018? Consider hosting or leading a circle group. So we not only love God's word, but we read God's word and do the work of meditating on it. And third, prosper in the things that really matter. Prosper in the things that really matter. Psalm 1-3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, what? Prospers. You're prospering in what matters most. You're bringing stability, a rootedness to your life when you begin to read and meditate on the word of God, when you love God's word, when you begin to walk in that way, this investment that you make always has a delayed return. You might read and be like, I don't know if I'm getting that much. You might read and be like, it's gonna take me a while. But that investment always has a delayed return. You are building roots that come in really handy when the storms of life come along and they will come. What difference could your life be if you invested in renewing your thinking by reading God's word this year? You're going to have a return on that investment. And one of the returns on that investment is joy. Even if life has storms, you're going to have joy because you're being rooted and grounded in the word of God. You're going to change your thinking and your joy is going to follow. You've got a choice and so do I you're either going to become like a tree with deep roots or the Bible's going to say that you're going to become like chaff. A lot of people don't know what chaff is. Chaff is the thing that when you crumble wheat stalks and you want to get the kernels out, you throw the wheat stalks in the air and the chaff, all the, all the, the stuff that's not wheat kernels, blows away in the wind and the heavy stuff, the kernels, fall to the ground. But we don't really live in an agricultural society, so let me give you a new picture You're either going to become a tree or a tumbleweed. A tree or a tumbleweed. What happens to a tumbleweed? It looks stable, but the seasons change, and in that time it finds out it has no root anymore. It breaks off, and it rolls, and then it gets stuck in a fence, right? It's trapped. It's stuck in a fence. It withers. It dies. You and I are going to be one of the two. Those who walk with the wicked and stand with sinners and and sit with mockers, that we attach ourselves to being just like the world, but saying we have a different belief system, you're going to find that the storms of life are going to snap you off, roll you away, and dry you out. Your joy is going to dry up, is what the Bible's telling us. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 4 says this, 
Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. As the psalmist compares those who walk with wickedness or those who begin to pursue righteousness, he's making a very clear picture for me. You're either gonna become a tree or a tumbleweed. And which do you choose? Which do you choose? My dad used to say something. He used to say, as an attorney, my dad would say, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because all the time in court, he'd see people who didn't mean to, who were well-intentioned, but never followed through to fulfill the contract, never followed through to construct something right, never followed through in such a way that they delivered what they promised. And, and so these issues would come up in court, and my dad would say, well, the road to hell is often paved with good intentions. And my greatest fear as a pastor is that you would be sitting here, and you would hear about good news through Jesus Christ, that you would hear that there was a God who's working for your good while you and I were still enemies. He was still for you. He was still working good for you while you were his enemies. And that you would reject it. And some of you might be sitting here every week and been here for a long time, but in your heart, you know, I've never made that decision. And if I did, I might make the pastor fall over with shock. I wouldn't. Because I believe God draws people to himself at exactly the right time. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, I want to just ask today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, will you take a quick inventory, and will you begin to say, God, I I need to make some changes. I've been walking, I've been standing, I've been, I've been sitting. God wants to help you get up again, restore your joy as he renews your thoughts. And he wants to ground you with his word and give you stability in your life. But there are some of you in this room and you've never received forgiveness through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is, he took God's wrath against your sin and he paid for it. And he offers you eternal life if you believe that what he did on the cross cancels out your sin. And you ask him for new life on the inside. If that's you today, then right where you're seated, just in your heart, God hears your heart. So you just pray something like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you are God. Will you wash me as white as snow and put your Holy Spirit in me because today I give you me. Jesus, we're so grateful for you. Help us as we walk in the new year. We love you. We're super uh, grateful for your work in our lives. God, we thank you for beginnings because there are things we leave in the past and we need to leave them in the rearview mirror. And God, we need to focus on what you have in the days and the weeks and the times ahead. So God, with your confidence, we embrace those. In Jesus' name and together we all said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.